0: We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 3 today as we continue our series, our summer series. The question that we've been considering through the summer is how do you feel? How do you feel today? How do you feel this week? How do you feel this summer? How do you feel? Some of you, Because you've been here, you recognize the question, but some of you have heard the question for the first time, and in your mind, you're answering the question, what do you feel? I feel sad or happy. But the question is actually, how do we feel? As Mike Connor reminded us a few weeks ago, it's a technique and it's a skill question. How is one to go about feeling well In a world that feels and teaches us to feel so poorly? That's the question we've been considering. And in short, the answer goes something like this. By anchoring our passions, our feelings, our emotions in the faith. The faith. The faith that was once delivered to our fathers and has been passed on to us. And harnessing our passions, our feelings, our emotions, to the hope that is rooted and grows from that faith. The faith, in this sense, refers to the substance of what we believe. That is the objective, unchanging facts of God's love revealed and accomplished in Jesus in human history both in the broad sense as well as in the particular sense of my individual history, my family's history, the congregation's history. The story of this faith is what scripture calls the gospel. The good news of Christ's love, or more particularly, the good news of the triune God's Great and abounding love by which he made all things, sustains all things, and redeems all things through Jesus of Nazareth for his glory. At the heart of this good news is his mind-bending and soul-bending delight to invite, to clothe, to welcome and to embrace a sinful people. To feast with him in his home. At his table. If you don't hear anything else today. Think about the wonder of that statement that I just shared with you. That the holy God. Delights to invite And to clothe and to welcome and to embrace profoundly sinful people such as you and me. To feast with him in his home, at his table. Oh, God, strengthen us to wonder at the beauty of that. This faith, though has particular dimensions and it moves in a particular direction. We can't describe it and use it any way we please. It has particular dimensions. According to which we know not this, but this. And it moves in a particular direction according to which we know not this way, but that way. The distinctive dimensions and direction of our faith is what I am calling today Our hope, they're inseparable and yet we can describe them differently. Our faith is not simply a story that happened and is over as we heard even this morning in Sunday school. It is not simply a story which, if believed, will free you from guilt and shame and the wrath of our sins. Although it is most assuredly does that. It is most assuredly not that now you are free to live as you please without the complicating consequences of your guilt and shame and fear. Rather, it is a transmundane faith, look it up, that is permanently fixed. In every cubic inch of this world. And which reaches into and transforms. Every cubic inch of life in this world. And beyond. And moves us along a particular pathway. To a particular destination. So if the faith is the love of Christ so freely and fully accomplished and granted in Jesus, then, brothers and sisters, our hope refers to the stunning, unimaginable dimensions and direction of that love. To the power of that love to transform every dimension of our life in this world in order to draw us more and more fully into the joy of the loving life of the triune God himself. So that when our emotions are anchored in this faith and harnessed to this hope, they take on an entirely new, shall we say, a distinctive, shall we say, a holy quality. And they move us to feel and think and speak and act in particular ways and move us in a particular direction. To a particular place. And that is in sum what I hope that we understand Paul to be saying. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, reading through the end of the chapter. Read with me. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14 What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God to us, his now living people. Let us pray that by his spirit, he would grant us the courage to see and hear. So, Father, we do come. To this, your word, and this, the hour that you have set aside for us to be gathered in your presence. Now by the powerful working of your spirit, pierce through the swirls of distractions and lies and deceits. That we may behold your glory. We may hear it, we may see it, we may be changed by it. Protect us from further deceits, from further error. And feast us upon the glory of your great love abounding to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We in our area, especially those of us who live in St. Elmo, are very familiar with house renovation projects. We see them happening all the time. There was one house, perhaps you all will remember it, from several years ago that as I was driving back and forth on St. Omo Avenue, I actually saw them jack the house up, remove the, the foundation, and plant a new foundation in its place. That was pretty amazing. I'm thinking, surely it's more cost effective just to level the house and build a new one. Some of you who have been involved in these projects often know know that often these house renovation projects involve stripping the house all the way down to the very studs. As you get into these old houses, you know that even the wiring has to be replaced, has to be ripped out and totally replaced. Sometimes the studs themselves have to be replaced. Sometimes they have to be reinforced. Along with beams, perhaps, in order to provide support for the demands of the new life in the new era in which it finds itself. Some of you know, for example, that when many of the houses in St. Elmo were built, they had no idea. They could not imagine the number of electrical appliances that would become necessary for life in North America. Can you imagine there's only 15 outlets in a room? (laughs) Exactly. Everyone knows that you need at least 15 for just one computer. What were they possibly thinking? Such a house is wholly inadequate for the glories of the modern age. Paul's prayer here is part of a house renovation project. And just to be clear, we are that house. Prayer, his prayer began as an immediate next thought after his comment at the end of chapter two, in which he says, "You." also are being built together. By the way, let me read that again. Y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And please don't allow the quaint southernism to distract you from the power of that sentence. Y'all. He's not speaking to isolated Individuals. He's speaking to a new gathering of individuals. He's speaking to y'all. Are being built together. Into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you. We are wholly inadequate for the glories of life in such an era. And so Paul prays, he prays for this reason, since we all are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, get ready for this, to be strengthened with power. Who needs to be strengthened to be loved? Love is such a wonderful thing. We don't need strength for that. But Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Note that as Paul that Paul's prayer Uh, has a direction to it. There's a structure to it. There's a direction to it. There's a pattern to it. Note with me. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, verse verse 16, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. For what end? For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, y'all's hearts through faith. Isn't it an interesting concept? Christ is such a nice guy. Why do we need to be strengthened in our inner being in preparation for so that He may dwell in us? Because we're wholly inadequate for the glory of Christ to dwell in us. So that... But that's not even the end. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that... Being rooted and grounded in that love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And then he sums it to know the love of Christ. It is those dimensions that I want to focus on for most of our time. But even that is not the end. The end of verse 19 So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that. Paul's prayer is nothing less than God's renovation project, where the fullness of his glory comes to reside in us, among us, as his people. What would it look like to see the Shekinah glory descend upon Flintstone, Georgia? It would look like this. You and me those raised from the dead, redeemed and reconciled, made new. That is the plan. That is the pattern of God's great home renovation project. He strengthens us with power in our inner being so that Christ may dwell, so that we may have strength to know the great dimensions of that love, so that we may be fit For the fullness of God's glory to dwell in us. You see, brothers and sisters, our souls, even our souls gathered together. Are simply not sufficient. As they are. But must be shored up. Must be strengthened. The structures of our soul sometimes must be replaced. Replaced and reinforced. The structures that is of our desires, the the patterns of our passions and our feelings and our emotions, our thoughts and our words and our deeds that grow from our emotions that support our current life. Must be changed. In order to sustain the life of Christ, the fullness of the triune God's love. The image of God's super abounding love, that is, for which we were originally intended. Strengthened so that Christ may dwell. Christ himself becomes, as we have said back at the beginning of June, Christ himself is the substance of our inner being, the substance of our faith. He is the faith that is all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus continues to do. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, raised and reigning today, Jesus of Nazareth. All that he accomplished, all that he continues to accomplish, is our faith. But we must understand this. My faith is not my faith alone. My faith is your faith. Your faith is my faith. It is no small, privatized, personal, individualized, isolated accomplishment, but the accomplishments of Jesus Christ explode beyond the bounds of our petty, self-centered mud pie dreams. Even beyond our wildest imaginations in every direction that we care to explore, you want to explore it up, you won't find the end of it. You want to explore it down, you won't find the end of it. You want to explore it to the right or to the left, you won't find the end of it. You want to explore it to forward and back, you won't find the end of it. The faith that is the person and work of Jesus Christ is the bedrock of our hope. But our hope in Christ grows from there to dimensions well beyond our comprehension and our imagination. As David Pallison says, our Christian hope is founded upon this unbreakable reality that Christ willingly invades our broken condition, the broken condition of human life, and participates in it. Indeed, as Paul says in Philippians, participates until he brings to perfect completion the work that he has begun. Let's look at these four dimensions of our hope. Breadth and length and height and depth that you find there in verse 18. Not only must the structures of our feelings, thoughts, words, and deeds be strengthened and replaced and reordered. In order to sustain the dwelling of Christ. The glorious love of the triune God. But they must be expanded. Stretched. Well beyond what we think we can bear in every direction. Breadth is the first word there. Breadth to the right and to the left. So just think through that just for a little bit. Just meditate on that. Think about even how we conceive of language of right and left in our own culture. And work through all of that. To the the right, the love of Christ expands through every responsibility for which I feel naturally adept. The right hand of my strength, for example. Relationships to which I feel naturally drawn. I like this person. We get along. We feel naturally inclined one to another. Relationships in which I feel I belong, in which I feel I am welcomed. The love of Christ pervades and radiates through every one of those. But the fact is that it radiates to the left as well. Now, in our culture, we think of right and left in primarily political terms, and so let me think about that for just a moment. I recognize that I'm speaking to a largely white middle-class audience, and so that if we were to take a political poll, I recognize where our political allegiances would lie. But the love of Christ compels us to the left. It stretches to the left so that even, it even reaches to those who are on the other side of the political aisle. The love of Christ by which you and I are made alive is the same love that reaches across the political aisle. But we can keep going. The love of Christ radiates well beyond that to responsibilities for which I feel particularly inadequate and awkward. One of the things I love, (laughs) one of the things I love about songs and stories is I get to have this conversation. I don't like to stand in front of people. Well, neither do I. And I mean it. I don't understand why the Lord would have me serve as pastor of a congregation and put me in front of people week after week after week. Does he not know that that's not what I'm naturally inclined to do? Oh, yes, he does. But the love of Christ compels even there. Compels me to responsibilities for which I feel particularly inadequate and awkward, so that I may know the strength of Christ's love. I can't teach, Scott. I I know you can't teach, but Christ can teach through you. Would you grant the kids the privilege of meeting Christ in you? To the left, beyond to through relationships that I'm not naturally inclined to or in which I feel awkward. Well, they don't like me. We don't get along. But that's not the point. The point is that the love of Christ radiates compellingly, irresistibly in every direction beyond what we feel are natural boundaries and natural natural borders. Into relationships where we feel out of place, where we feel even unwelcome. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't stop there. It radiates even beyond that. To relationships in which I feel I feel endangered, I feel vulnerable and I feel at risk. To the least and to the lost and the lonely, as I have taken to summarizing it recently. Because that is those are hard relationships. They expose me. They put me at risk, they put my family at risk, horribly inconvenient. But not even so, it radiates beyond that to the neighbor whose name you don't know, even though you've lived there for 10 years. To the stranger. Are you ready for this one? Even to the enemy. Not those that you presume to be your enemy. But those who have made it known that that they are your enemy. Those who are self-proclaimed that they are your enemy. The love of Christ compels even to those outer limits of our wildest imagination. I can't imagine loving that person. Behold the love of Christ. We could stop right there. And let's spend a lifetime stretching to the right and to the left. But Paul doesn't stop there. The fact of the matter is, he speaks about the length. That is the length of Christ's love, if you will, into our future. All of my tomorrows, all of my plans, all of my career options, all of my schooling choices. All of them. From this moment on through the end of the day, into the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next lifetime. It expands. The love of Christ is as though He pushes me along and I can't stop it. All of that. Becomes part of our growing into the experience of his abounding and steadfast love. And I will tell you. I will tell you that my default posture as I look into all of my tomorrows is to dig in my heels. And say, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that. And Christ says, yes, that. Because my love is sufficient. This hope, you see, actually creates in us a confidence that borders on being irresponsible. As it compels us almost irresistibly and helplessly with abandon into the future. But not only so, oh, North Americans who love to look at all the tomorrows and all the wonderful things we can do about them. It also reaches all the way into the past. Brothers and sisters, do you understand how powerful this love is? All those things that you said and you can't take back, all those things you did and you wish you didn't, it reaches all the way back. It reaches all the way back. It doesn't change the facts of our history, but it does change their significance in his story. I've been amazed to see the power of forgiveness that transforms a bitter relationship history into a sweet relationship present. We even heard testimony about that this morning. I have seen with my own eyes histories of addiction and their related foolishness transformed by the gospel into sweet and powerful stories of healing and hope for the present. That multiplies. I have seen past stories that our culture deems shameful made the power of the gospel into stories of resurrection wonder. After all, the resurrection glory of Christ means nothing without the shame of the cross. In our culture, in our subculture here in Flintstone, the most common response I get to invitations to join us in church is, Oh, Pastor, you have no idea what I've done. But, brothers and sisters, the power of the gospel of God's love for us in Jesus Christ reaches all the way into your past and it lays hold of it. I don't know what you have done, but He does. And what you and I intend for evil, the love of Christ somehow transforms and it becomes a part of his intention for his good. It's a stunning thing to see it lay hold of you. But not only reaches to our right and to our left and to our futures and our pasts, it reaches to the heights. To the heights. What are your aspirations? What are your dreams? Your notions of success, your notions of our glory, your notions of God's glory. They pale in comparison to the dimensions of Christ's great love. We have no concept. We can't ask for it, we can't think about it, we can't imagine The wonders of the glory that are held out for us, the riches of our inheritance that are granted to us in Jesus Christ. As C.S. Lewis has said, we are very content with our mud pies, thank you very much. And he says, when we've been offered a holiday at the beach, and I'm thinking to myself, at the beach? He gets sand in your belly button for years. That's not great. But you understand what he is saying. The heights of God's glory that are ours in the love of Jesus Christ are beyond our wildest imaginations. But also the depths. The depths of our soul. The depths of our secrets. My guess is that there are people here today that are terrified that their secrets might be revealed. Even as I'm formulating that thought, I'm looking over and I'm seeing Russ and Paula, whose first Sunday here was a Sunday just to come and sit in the back and laugh at me because they know my secrets. I love you. I'm late on this month's payment, but I'll get it to you. It reaches to the depths of our soul, to the depths of those secrets, to the depths of our sins, to the depths of our depravity. I sat with a man in my office and he says, Pastor Dan, you have no idea the things that I've done. And I said, I don't. But I know that Christ does. And I know that he's paid the price. And he said, no, it's not possible. I said, it's possible. It's not possible. It's possible. Try me. And so he tried me. I said, yep, that too. Yep, that too. We had to stop because he burst into tears. Because brothers and sisters, do you understand that the power of Christ's love reaches all the way down past our foundations that are rotten to the core to make all things new. But get this now. Now start to synthesize all these directions. That means that that is true for my neighbor on the right and my neighbor on the left. The love of Christ is sufficient for the worst of their foolishness and depravity. is not only dimensions, it is a direction. It is moving us towards a particular place. Paul has been describing what he says in the the opening um, passage in Ephesians, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Paul is describing this inheritance. And what is this inheritance? The inheritance is that Shekinah glory, presence of God with us, among us, That we lost in the garden. The glory of God with us. Emmanuel. The new tabernacle. The new temple. The new Eden. The new heavens. And the new earth. And that's why it is so important. That we understand that all of these. These words in here where he says. For this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant to y'all. To be strengthened with power by his spirit. In, your, in y'all's inner being so that Christ may dwell in y'all's hearts. That y'all being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Yesterday, today and forever. The breadth and the length and the height of Christ's love that surpasses knowledge that y'all may be filled with a fullness of God. This is not a promise just to me and just to you in isolation. It's a promise to us together. As we encounter one another's sinfulness and foolishness, do you understand? We are encountering the opportunity to be driven more deeply into the love of Jesus Christ. That's part of his glory. The overflowing fullness of the triune God's super abounding love is what he is working in us. And it requires us. It requires us. All through this passage, Paul is addressing the congregation, the gathered together ones, the y'alls. Why? Because he's speaking about the love of the triune God. There's a reason that it is so important that we understand ourselves to be worshiping a triune God. Because the glory of the triune God is the love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is that love that he is working among us. It requires the love of the triune God can only be experienced in relationship. And the power of the triune God's love can only be experienced among dead people being made to live again. And in case you didn't know, that's us. And this is where the Christian hope begins to get mind-bending and soul-bending. Because while our sensation of this hope is that we are being carried forward to a specific place, the fact is that this hope is far more aggressive than that. It is moving toward us. It is invading us. Most of you, if you would reflect on your own testimony, will say something similar to what Rosaria Butterfield said, that her conversion was like a train wreck. She was totally blindsided by the power of the gospel, as it so often blindsides us. Because this hope is coming at us, it is invading every cubic inch of our passions. I was reminded of this prank of a couple teenagers that I heard about who had gotten their license. Okay, those of you who just gotten your license, close your ears. And so you see, so they pull up to this car at a at a three lane red light. One car on one side, one car on the other, and there's this little old lady in her car. <laughs> And then the guys look through the windows at each other and they give the thumbs up or the wink or whatever their sign is and they put it in reverse and they quietly start moving backwards. And they watch as the little old lady panics because she feels her car drifting forward, slamming on the brakes. I'm moving, I'm moving, I can't stop the car. And the kids are there going, ha ah. ha 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 ha. It makes the driver in the middle car feel as though she is moving forward. And there's something of that sensation when we speak about the hope that is ours. The hope of the kingdom is rushing toward us, brothers and sisters. It is coming at us, full bore, and it intends to invade every cubic inch of our life. The faith embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we read about in the Gospels. Brothers and sisters, that's just the tip of the spear. The history of our hope is the ever deepening and widening, propelling invasion of that spear of Christ's love, piercing into and consuming every cubic inch of our life. And in case you didn't know, It's not comfortable to be slowly stabbed by a spear. Go ahead. Think about it for just a moment. Feel the tip of the spear pressing into your flesh, piercing your flesh, and going on into the depths of your body, the depths of your soul. That's what we're talking about. In other words, the hope is not something that we are doing. It's not something that we are moving toward. But something that is coming toward us and invading us. And notice that the intersection of all these dimensions is us. The love of God invades our life together. And then explodes in every dimension and every direction from that. In God's design, the love of of God in Christ that is on display in any local congregation of his people is the epicenter of his mission to renew all things. It's the great plan, as Paul described in Ephesians 1, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. What kinds of things need to be united but those things that have been torn asunder? More, more, The love of the triune God can only be fully experienced when it is experienced with those who are different from us. Contrary to the lies of our enemy, the glory of the kingdom is not uniformity, but it's the unity of those who once were enemies. The differences that we encounter among one another, some because of personality, some because of maturity, some because of upbringing, some because of arrogance and ignorance, are not hindrances, brothers and sisters, to the hope of the love of Christ in us. They are the occasion for the hope of Christ's love among us. What does this mean for our emotions? Emotions that are rooted in that faith and harnessed to that hope. Well, think about it. What is it that discourages me? I get discouraged with friendships on my right and friendships on my left. I get discouraged as I think about foolishness from my past. But when I know the cross of Christ and the hope that is begun, it transforms my discouragement. Does it change the facts? Of my discouragement? No, but it transforms the way I am discouraged. When I get discouraged with coworkers, or with my fellow congregants or with my neighbor, with my own deep-rooted sins and the deep-rooted sin patterns of our children or our brothers or sisters. You see, when I recognize the faith that has been secured for me in Jesus Christ and the hope of my inheritance, then I can recognize that in all those discouragements, Christ is at work making all things new in my life, in their life, in that circumstance. What about anger? When I'm angry with myself for my failures or with others for their failures or their shortcomings. He didn't call me. Why didn't he call me? Or with coworkers or bosses who demand too much, coworkers who do too little, injustices the liberal left, the godless right. The faith and the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ doesn't change all of those things. doesn't remove all of those things. It transforms them. And we begin to recognize in the light of God's great love for us, secured in Jesus Christ and moving towards the inheritance of his kingdom, we begin to recognize the patterns of his workings. And so our anger becomes, in fact, a function of faith, fear and worry, joy, contentment. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that you may be filled with all the fullness of the triune God's love. That is mind-exploding. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church among us and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever so that Flintstone may know that there is a hope that changes all things. So, Father, we come and we just pray.